I'll be reading this morning from 1 John chapter 4, beginning in verse 16. And we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this, love is perfected with us, that we may have confidence in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we love God, we observe his commandments. And this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And I'll pray. Again, God, I just thank you for these words that you've given us and for all of your word. Um, It is truth, and it is right. It has been tested and, and, and will never fail. And I thank you for the revelation that we have here, God, of yourself being light and love. And I pray that, Lord, you just speak to us and minister to us as we need. As we read your word together, God, that Jesus would be exalted and that our hearts would be brought to you. In Christ's name, amen. You may be seated. Well, as we're looking at John, um, I highlighted last week that this is the section now in chapter 4 where twice we're told that God is love. But the book started out by saying God is light. And the two go together as all the attributes of God do. There's not one attribute that supersedes another. They all um, coexist simultaneously. But... We're living in a time now where it seems that truth is not cherished as much as love is. I remember back in the 60s and 70s, um, it it seemed that for a lot of young people, they felt as they were leaving high school and getting into their college years, that it was a choice between either going to university or going to a hippie commune. And there was a big contrast between those two things. And I've, I've known one or two people that chose the commune, and they regretted it. Um, but that is a pretty stark contrast. And, and I think when I was choosing which college to go to, and, and I spent uh, my first year out of high school at, at His Hill, and, um, and then I spent a year at a junior college down in Corpus, um, and then finally went off to Bible college. In those three schools that I went to, it never occurred to me to choose a school based upon how they would love me. 
because I just understood schools about an education. And if I get loved, bonus, but that's not why I'm there. I'm, I'm there to, to learn the truth. And I think most kids didn't really choose schools based upon whether they would be loved or not. But some dropped out because they wanted to be loved and joined the commune. It shouldn't be one opposed to the other. And I know now things have changed all these years later. And more and more, whether it's a secular school or a Christian Bible college or a school like His Hill, um, foremost, not necessarily first, but it is right at the top, is am I being loved or not? And even the secular school, you know, I, you know they, they shouldn't be hurting my feelings. They, they should be appreciating who I am and cherishing me and, and caring for me. It used to never be a thought when going off to university. So we can swing back and forth on the pendulum, all, being all about truth, being all about love, and both extremes are wrong. We need both. Love embraces us, and truth scares us. But we need the truth, as well as love. And one without the other just doesn't work. And so now, kind of getting down in the meat of, of what John is after, he, he gives us, some again, some pretty basic and, and somewhat obvious statements. And one here, uh, I think the controlling idea in, the, in what I've just read, is that love ought to impact everything about our lives. That's the truth. It ought to impact me personally. It'll impact my relationships with others. And it certainly impacts how I relate to God. And so he starts out in verse 16, and we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. And already I find that interesting because we have come to know love, but also we have come to believe about love or to believe what God has said. And what has God said? God said, I so, I, God so loves the world that he's given his son. And he said that earlier in the chapter. Beloved, if God so loved us, how did he love us? By giving his son for us. And now in verse 16, we have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. You can't know love without believing that you are loved. It's amazing how that goes hand in hand, isn't it? You've got somebody in your life that just will not believe that you love them. It can be that teenage child. It could be a coworker. It could be a friend. They don't know they're loved because they won't believe that they're loved. It goes hand in hand. And it's not anything we can force. You can, you can be as loving as you know how to another person, and they can remain unconvinced. There is a faith element to knowing love. We have to believe we are loved. You think, what more could God have done to make his love known to us than to give his son to die for us? But we have to believe it. And if we won't believe it, we won't know it. Same thing is true in how we relate to each other. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. 
Okay? I believe that. Well, how do I know it? I have to believe it, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So again, he comes back to abiding as, as he has throughout this letter. If I'm going to know the love of God, I have to believe that God loves me. And believing God loves me means I will abide. I will rest in God and rest in his love for me. And I will begin to know his love as I abide in God who is love. So a Christian who is not knowing the love of God is not believing that God loves him. He's not knowing God's love because he's not abiding in God who is love. Verse 17, by this love is perfected with us. We all are growing in our understanding of what love means. I know I am. And and growing in our ability to love others. Love is being perfected in each of our lives. Hopefully, as life goes on, as we get older, we become not more cynical and hard, but we become more loving. And love is perfected as we abide. You cannot grow in love, become better at loving, while not abiding in the one who is love. Basic stuff. You want to be a better lover? Keep abiding in Christ. Because God is love. And love is from God. And it's not possible to love better without a relationship with Jesus. Love is perfected with us as we abide. That we, and then a consequence of that Not only is love being perfected as I abide, but I have confidence. We can have confidence as we stand before God in judgment. That day is coming. We will not be judged um, with the potential of losing our salvation. But 2 Corinthians 5 says that we will stand before Christ at his judgment seat. And everything we've said and done and thought will be judged. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 says that if we built with wood, hay, and stubble, it's going to be burned up. If we built with gold and silver and precious stones, there'll be a lasting reward. So that day is coming. And it's not something that we necessarily look forward to with joy. There's going to be some shame at that time. John's already said that we can shrink back when Jesus appears. But it is possible to face that day of judgment with confidence. It's an amazing thought. Because we have been living a life of loving God and abiding in his love. So in that day of judgment, we can have confidence because love is being perfected and we have been abiding in God who is love. Kind of like I, th- I think of, you know, I, I have a friend who's a very good man. And, but he told me that he can never see a uniformed police officer without fear just gripping his heart. And I'm thinking, 
you never do anything wrong. <laughs> Why? Me, I can see, you know, I'm the one that fear ought to grip his heart because I drive like Jehu. I was telling the students, you know, Jehu's that guy in the Bible that was furious when he's driving. And they're going to put that on my tombstone. You know, he, he died driving like Jehu. Um, so when I see a police officer, I have reason many times, sadly, to fear. But I can tell you, if I walk into a restaurant and I see a table full of police officers, I have no fear because I haven't done anything wrong. So there's no reason why they should stand up and go, oh, there's McCall. You know, let's arrest him. That thought doesn't come to my mind. But I have this good friend, brother in the Lord, that just every time he sees a uniformed officer, he says, just terror grips him. We are going to stand before God one day. And there will be no, there, sh, there doesn't have to be any reason for a lack of confidence or of terror. Now we know that God loves us. And I've been just, I'll tell you, for the longest time, just pouring over this passage and meditating on it. And I can tell you for years, I thought that what John is saying is God's perfect love for us gives us confidence. And there's some truth to that, because if we, when we truly understand God loves us, then we can enter into his presence with boldness and confidence. Hebrews talks about that. My children, when they were little, used to just could burst into my office at any time in confidence, because it's dad's office, and, we're, and we have access to dad's presence. One of my kids one time he was taking his sweet time getting ready to, for camp. He was a camper that week, and he was holding up the entire camp. Everybody was on the bus. And he was still taking his sweet time getting dressed in the, in the dressing room. And his counselor came in and said, you've got to get going. Everybody's waiting on you. And he stood up, got on the bench so he could look eye to eye with his counselor, and said, my dad is the director. And I will take as long as I want. I never knew he did that until just a few years ago. And it was the counselor who told me that. And he just said, the counselor said, okay. And he walked out and got on the bus and waited for my son to show up. Now that's confidence. Because of the relationship. And, and that, and so, but that, I, I don't think that's what John's after here. It is true. We can have supreme confidence because of that love that God has for us. But John's talking about here the perfection of our love. God's love doesn't need to be perfected. It's our love that is being perfected as we abide in Christ. So as we abide and our love is being perfected, we will be able to have confidence when we stand before Jesus. That's an amazing thing. Confident not just because he loves me, but confident because I've been living in an abiding love relationship with him. And I can stand before him and face the scrutiny of the light of his presence with confidence. And that can only come as we abide. Because when we're abiding, 
we can't sin. And when you're abiding, you can't not love. And so as we abide, there's no disparity between our life and his life. Because abiding means he is free to express his life through us. And so Jesus shows up and we just go, here's my friend. Ian Thomas used to say that when we die and go to heaven, it ought to be nothing more than merely a change of location. And he used to say, we're just going to wake up in glory and we're going to go, oh, never been here before. And what he meant was, is that there's going to be, there ought to be just supreme confidence in being in the presence of God. Why? Because we've been living in the presence of God before we ever got into the presence of God. And that's what John's after here. If I am constantly living in the presence of God, why will I fear being in the presence of God? And so he's saying that the, that the one impacts the other. And confidence comes, not only in knowing that you are loved, but of loving as we've been loved. We have confidence in that day of judgment because as he is, not as he was, as he is, so also are we in this world. That happens as we abide. As Christ is, we are. Not as Christ was, we shall be, as the Mormons say, but as he is, we are. See, there's no other Christian, there's no other faith in the world that can make that claim. As God is, we are. We don't become little gods, but what is true of God is made true of us as we abide in him. It's a work that God does. And with that confidence and with that transformation into what is true of him becomes true of us, there's no fear. Verse 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And again, I believe he's talking about our love. Cast out fear. It's like if, if maybe again, I hope this is a good illustration, if a married couple was told, you guys need to go for counseling. And the husband looks at the wife and goes, in his heart, she's going to learn some lessons here. And the wife looks at the husband and goes, this is going to be good for him. But it could, if they're both loving each other perfectly, there's no need for counseling. And if they were to go to the counselor, the counselor would say, you're kind of wasting my time. And so when you've been loving perfectly, you can stand before the perfect counselor and he just goes, good job. Good job. I know guys, preachers, that, that when they perform officiate weddings, not only do they do premarital counseling, but they try to have a six-month or one-year anniversary counseling. I've never done that. I think I've done it once. It didn't go badly. I just haven't done it. And I, and I think, what would that be like if you know the guy that did your wedding is going to show up six months from now or a year from now, and he's going to show up in the house 
would you fear? Because you're afraid you're not doing well. Or would you say, welcome, come on in. And if everything's been going good for that year, you don't have any fear of him showing up and seeing how things are going. Perfect love cast out fear. Fear involves punishment. In fact, the literal translation here ought to be fear is punishment. Fear is its own punishment, is what John is saying. And God hasn't intended for us to live that way. And the one who fears is not perfected in love. So three times in these verses, the perfection of love. This is a hard thing. Fear, punishment, love. Perfect love cast out fear. Fear involves punishment. We will never as finite beings, be at a place where we should not fear God. That is something that is upheld throughout Scripture from beginning to end. It is right to fear God. But that fear is talking about a, a reverence, an awe, a, a, a worship of God. So we should never be flippant and callous or, or careless in our approach to God. Confident, bold, but never flippant. He is God. We are not. But neither should we live in dread of God. The only reason I would be in dread of God is because my sin has not been paid for. But my sin has been paid for. So I will never bear the punishment for my sin. Jesus already did that. And see, that's why a lot of folks can't even really be confident of going to heaven when they die. Because they believe that somehow their salvation depends on something they must do. Or maybe they just haven't done enough. But Jesus took the punishment for our sin. I can still be disciplined by God. I believe that we can be disciplined even to the point of losing our lives. But God disciplines us, the scripture says, repeatedly because he loves us. And if we weren't loved, we wouldn't be disciplined. He chastens those whom he loves. That's a good thing. So as parents, should our children fear us? Yes and no. It's a hard thing, isn't it? If they are living in disobedience, there ought to be consequences. And they ought to fear those consequences. If they're not living in disobedience, there is nothing to fear. See, I think that's where John's going with this. As I abide in Christ, I have nothing to fear. But if I'm not abiding, I'm not going to have confidence. And there will be fear. Because I will stand before him and have to be brought account for all of those words and thoughts and actions that were not derived from him. And which brings shame 
But if I abide, abiding in his love, loving him as he has loved me, there is no reason to fear. So our children have nothing to fear when they are living in love and obedience. But in a good home where there is discipline, there will be fear when there is disobedience. That fear doesn't negate the love, but it's a loving parent chastens his child, disciplines his child, even as God disciplines us. And then verse 19, he moves from what abiding in love and the love of God does in us to our relationships to each other. We love because he first loved us. We would not have the capacity to love if God is not love. We would not be able to love others if we were not first loved. There's a a lot in that statement. A child that grows up never knowing love is going to have a difficult time loving others. As we grow to know God's love for us, we are enabled to love others because we live out from his love for us. If someone says, I love God, and simultaneously hates his brother, he is a liar. And there again comes back to truth. Truth and love do not negate each other. I'm trying to find a quote that I have by John Stott, and it's something to the effect that if you, it is harder to love God whom you have not seen than to love your brother whom you have seen. So loving your brother is the easier thing. Don't be deceived about the harder thing, Stott would say. It's easier to love your brother whom you've seen than to love God whom you've not seen. So don't fool yourself. If you're not loving your brother, you're not loving God. Paraphrase from Stott. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. And the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That is the harder part. For this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. The one flows out into the other. If I'm abiding in Christ, I am knowing his love for me, and I am loving God, and I am loving others. And if I'm not loving my brother, it's because I am not abiding in Christ. It's as simple as that. And then he moves in chapter 5, these first five verses, to... Our love for God, how love impacts our relationship with God. Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And so, 
my relationship with God begins with believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That gives me new birth. And whoever loves the Father loves the one born of him. So if I've come to know God's love for me as I've placed my faith in Christ, it will be translated or manifest in my loving those who belong to him. It's natural. It's not even a choice. It's just the most natural thing in the world for a Christian to love Christians. For Christians to love their brothers and sisters in Christ. If I know his love for me, and I'm abiding in his love for me, that my relationship with God is characterized by love and translates in loving those who belong to him. By this we know that we love the children of God. When we send them nice notes, put our arms around their shoulders and tell them I love you, do kind things for them, never say a hurtful word, by this we know we love the children of God. No. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe His commandments. It's a good thing to get notes and hugs and kind words. Anybody can do that. To love God and do what He says is supernatural. You can hate somebody and look them in the eye and say, I love you. You can hate somebody and put your arm around their shoulder. But what takes the, truly takes the Spirit of God is being obedient to God, keeping His commandments. Something we cannot do apart from the Spirit of God. And so what truly reveals that I love other people is how I live in relationship to God. If I'm obeying His commandments or not, that is the greatest test, the greatest proof if I'm loving others. For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments. This is the love of God. We keep His commandments. I've said many times, every time that Adam and Eve walked by that tree in the middle of the garden, they were saying, as they just kept on walking, I love God, and I'm not going to eat of that fruit because God said don't eat of it. This is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome. Why? Because they're good. Jesus says his commandments are life. The will of God is good, acceptable, and perfect, and God's commandments are the same. Read Psalm 119. Every verse but two talks about how good God's word and God's commandments are. They're not burdensome to the one who loves God. But if you don't love God, it's a burden. Love him, how can I please you? It's amazing how love takes away the burden of obedience. We obey because we love. And there's no burden in that. 
We've all seen couples as they've gotten older and their health is failing and they have to care for one another. And I remember watching my dad and um, I was impressed as he took care of my mom. I didn't think he had it in him, (laughs) honestly, because 55 years of marriage, I watched her take care of him. But at the end, to watch him take care of her, and it was never a burden. Never a burden. Because he loved her. The commandments of God are not burdensome. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. The world doesn't love. And when we place our faith in Christ, at that moment the world is overcome. Faith overcomes the world and moves me from the realm of being focused on self constantly, loving self and not loving others, making life all about me instead of others. Faith totally transforms my orientation in life and moves me to knowing the love of God and loving others as I live from Christ. Who is the one who overcomes the world? Overcoming the world is not kicking down doors and and changing politics. Overcoming the world is when the door of my heart breaks open to God. And the love of God controls me, fills me. And the world has been overcome. The world has lost the victory. And as I walk in the love of God, the world will be overcome. But he who believes, who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Again, it comes back to truth. It's not love just being all about emotions, but the truth. Do you believe God loves you? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? The world is overcome, and God has the victory. In summary, love is to be both known and believed. Loving others is basic to the Christian life because it is basic to who God is. To move away from love, to cease loving, is to cease abiding. Perfect love, a mature love, gives us confidence in the day of judgment. It casts out fear. Perfect love is God's love for for us, but it is also our love for God. Remember the story of Joseph? And his brothers, not Joseph and the wise men, but Joseph in the Old Testament and his brothers. I would say Joseph had pretty perfect love for his brothers. That didn't come easily. He spent a lot of time in prison being falsely accused. But in that dark place of isolation and wrongfully treated, Joseph came out of there a free man. And I can think, can only believe it must be because he had to just believe that what God said was true. Didn't know how God was going to make it happen, but he believed that what God said was true. Dying to self and releasing himself into the hands of God. No longer defending himself, no longer worried about himself, 
I believe Joseph died while he was in prison. So when he came out, he was not vindictive. He was not defensive. He was not vengeful. It's a miracle what happened to Joseph in prison. And he loved his brothers. And when he finally revealed himself to them, I think it's in Genesis 45, there's that cry of his heart. He says, please come closer. Because they were pulling away. When they realized this man, second most powerful man in Egypt, is the brother they sold into slavery and thought was dead. They were pulling away, not drawing near. And it wasn't Joseph that was the cause of fear. It was their imperfect love, their treatment of Joseph. It was the brothers that needed to grow in love, not Joseph. And it was the brothers' inability to accept the truth, not to believe the truth about Joseph's love, which kept them in bondage right up to the very end. Right to the very end, after their dad had died, they're still worried about what Joseph would do. That had nothing to do with Joseph. It had to do with them and their hearts. I can't state enough just how central faith is to experiencing and knowing love. God is not our problem unless we're not abiding. He's going to discipline us. But even so, it's because he loves us. And will I believe the truth that God who gave his son for this world loves me? Love of God and love for brother go hand in hand. They cannot be separated. We're saved if we believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And saved people are born again. They love God and they love those born of God. Love of God and love of His people proves that we belong to Him, that we are abiding in Him, and that we are obeying Him. Love of God is obedience to God. Obedience is not always from love, but love should always result in obedience. And God's commandments are not burdensome when we obey because we love. I think I've said all I can about this passage. It's one that, um, for me, in, 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 in studying and preparing, uh, it honestly ha- is, is heavy because, on the one hand, I see I had a lot to learn about loving and abiding in God and in his love. But the Lord has given these things again to encourage and strengthen our hearts. That as we see where we fall short in our marriages, in our homes, in our relationships with each other, the answer is not to beat ourselves up, but to come to Jesus in faith.
And to believe the one that has saved us is more than adequate to love people well through us. Only he can do this. And he is in the business of doing so. I'll close us in prayer. God, I do thank you for your word and for the simplicity of it. You're straightforward with us, God. You don't say things to confuse us, but to bring us to the light. And I pray that we would be those people, God, who, who walk in light, confessing what is true, and who love. That as we abide in you, God, we would see you and lay hold of you, as Paul said, not seeing ourselves as having laid hold of it yet, but striving forward, wanting God to to know you as both holy God who dwells in perfect light and the one who is also perfect love. And then all that is true of you would be manifest through our lives. Thank you, God. That your your commandments are not burdensome as we live in love, from love. And I thank you, God, that in the day of judgment when we stand before you, it is entirely possible to stand there without fear because you love us and because we've been living in an abiding relationship with you where the presence of God physically is merely a change of location because we've been each day, each moment, living in your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.